Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Hello again, Tomb Believers. My name is Trey Lawson, and you're listening to another episode of Tomb of Ideas. I am here, as always, with my co-host, James. I am here, as always, with my co-host... One, two, three, four, come on, sir. James. 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 What? What? We're recording. Yeah, I'm I'm recording a TikTok. Uh, I I don't even know what to do with that. Why, Why are you recording a TikTok? Because I gotta show off my sweet dance moves? Well, I can't argue with that. Um, So, meanwhile, as the Chinese government just steals all of the information from the tomb, um, we do have some... It's really great. There's this new dance that, like, you... The steps are according to, like, the numbers of your social security number. (laughs) It's really cool. (laughs) Really lit. Uh, That's only... that's, That's only slightly implausible. (laughs) um that's 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 a lot like those uh facebook memes that are like what's your favorite movie and what is your mom's maiden name and like what was the name of your fifth pet's name and you know like it's like no you're not fishing for security questions at all (laughs) uh i i I don't know what you're talking about at all honestly Uh, I, I always answer this truthfully and in detail. <laughs> anyway, um, you're listening to Tomb of Ideas, the show where James and I have been compelled by uh, Mr. Gravely to read and discuss all of the Marvel monster comics beginning in the early 1970s. And, right. And we've got some great comics today, but first, we do have a little bit of news to cover. Um and that means that we'll be taking a slight detour into the hottest se- uh, segment in comics podcasting. You know it. You love it. It's Hellstrom Watch. For any new listeners, Hellstrom Watch is named after the upcoming Hulu series Hellstrom, which is apparently completed its season production and is going to debut at some point. Um, it is based on the character Damon Hellstrom, the son of Satan, who we have covered on this show. And yep. and Hellstrom Watch is basically where we talk about the upcoming Marvel slate, news about the broader Marvel media, that sort of thing. And the first thing I've got on the list is that Ant-Man 3 will reportedly start filming its, its uh, new production in summer 2021. Sweet. Yeah, so that means they're aiming for, like, a release date sometime in 2022 or 2023. 
Um, Ant-Man 3 is not officially on the calendar for those years, I don't think. So this is sort of new. Um, but, uh, but I don't think it's surprising. The Ant-Man movies have been generally solid performers. Like, they're not the, the huge blockbusters that, say, your Avengers, your Captain Americas, your Iron Mans are. But, uh, but Ant-Man always does well and is, gen- genu- is generally a good time at the movies. Yeah. So that's, I mean, something to look forward to. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. See if we're going to do, like, Cassius superhero, which I think we've talked about before. Yeah, we talked about that 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 could lead into, like, a Young Avengers something or other. Especially if they're also going to introduce Kate Bishop in in some sort of Hawkeye project. Um, that Is that would be Hawkeye nice. project still happening? I don't know. I, I heard it was... Uh, on indefinite hold, then I heard it was just temporarily delayed, then I basically the virus happened, and so there have been no updates. Yeah, it's hard to I'm not even sure that like reality's happening right now, so Fair enough. Um, so that, that's the first thing, is Ant-Man 3 starting production apparently summer 2021 which mm-hmm. is hopefully far enough out that the current situation will not affect it. Fingers crossed! Right. Uh, next is that Marvel Comics has acquired the Alien and Predator comic book franchises, which were previously housed at Dark Horse. Yeah, so I guess they're Marvel monsters now. Yeah, that's fair. Well, and that means that we could conceivably get some Marvel versus Predator or Marvel versus Aliens crossovers. Yeah, I don't know about you, but like some of my favorite crossovers of the 90s were like Batman versus Alien and... Really, any of the versus alien ones. I didn't read yeah. a lot of the Predator ones. The the Superman versus alien ones, at least the one I remember reading, is is a lot of fun. In part because it's very much like that sort of post crisis pre New Fifty Two version of Superman. You know, like yeah, the, I think it was even I think it was even like drawn by Dan Jurgens. Yeah, yeah. Um, who is the who besides John Byrne is the quintessential artist for that era of Superman. Yeah, and the one I read was it was at a time when the Kara Zor-El version of Supergirl was not canonical. Like yeah. she had been wiped away by the crisis. But what happens is Superman ends up in a version of Argo City that has been overrun by Xenomorphs, and so he meets a version of Kara. Yeah, it was yes. cool. I liked it. It was really cool, actually. It was really fun, and. I pre- I'm pretty sure they've covered it on From Crisis to Crisis, the Superman podcast. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and those books were also collected. You can get the, the DC slash Dark Horse collection of the, the crossovers. Yeah, they haven't been as stingy about reprinting those crossovers as they have, like, say... Um, JLA Avengers? Yeah, that's a, that's the exact same example I was thinking of. Or, where, or Amalgam? Yeah, where you're trade paperback could easily be a hundred bucks on eBay. Yep, yep. I don't um, like hardcovers either. <laughs> um, of course, what I really want to see is like Wolverine running into a xenomorph from Aliens and being like, Psh, this is just a ripoff of the brood. Yeah. yeah, I could easily see that happening. Although, if we're going by which is more threatening, I think definitely the xenomorphs are more threatening than the brood. Yes, yes. Uh, the other thing that occurs to me, <laughs> because of the other acquisitions, is that it's not inconceivable that you could have, like, Star Wars versus Predator. Oh, gosh. <laughs> or, ooh, a Predator versus Craven the Hunter. Yeah? 
Conan the Barbarian versus Predator. Conan versus Aliens. Yeah. Let, let's get Roy on this. Yeah. Roy. <laughs> Mr. Thomas, please write this. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway. Um, it, it's big news because Alien and Predator have both been at Dark Horse for decades now. Yeah. Um, I, I've read a bunch of the Dark Horse Alien stuff, too, because for a while that was the only Alien franchise stuff that existed. Um, yeah. F- for example, a lot of the uh, movie stuff, like the Alien vs. Predator stuff is based off of the Dark Horse comics work. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and recently, within the last couple years, they had really ramped up on some of their Alien stuff. I, I uh, picked up a miniseries as it came out that was a comic adaptation of the original screenplay for Alien 3. Like oh. the one that was unproduced. Okay. Um, so so they've, they've done some interesting stuff at Dark Horse. It's kind of a shame to see all of that continuity get wiped away, as happened with the Star Wars Expanded Universe. But Yeah, I, I was a big fan of uh, Star Wars Legacy. Yeah, yeah. But it does open up some cool possibilities for what Marvel could do with the, the two franchises. It, it does. It should be interesting. And because it is a bit of a looser continuity to say, like, the Star Wars stuff... It's mm-hmm. not going to be that hard of a cut. Right, right. And and on top of that, the thing that's sort of been the uh, the alien in the room here is <laughs> none of this is particularly surprising because Marvel's parent company is Disney, and Disney purchased Fox, which is the studio that produced both Alien and Predator. Yes. So it, it's, it's sort of been a long time coming at this point. Yeah. Not that surprising. Right. Uh, next is... That, uh, as you may have heard, San Diego Comic-Con has been uh, canceled as far as in-person events this year. Uh, But they are doing a virtual con that uh, will be hosting Q&As and and fan events and things like that. But, as uh, it was just announced this week, that Marvel, Marvel Studios in particular, will not be participating in the virtual Comic-Con. Which is kind of understanding. I mean, what are they going to show? More footage from Black Widow? Right, exactly. Uh, the, the the big stuff they've got coming, like the Disney Plus shows, Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, Loki, even WandaVision, um, they, they've postponed most of those at various stages of production. Um, in terms of movies, Shang-Chi and, and Eternals are the ones that we're filming, and I, I think both of those are postponed right now. So I, I just don't think they'd have a whole lot to show. I don't think so either, and they're not sure really when stuff is going to come out. So right, and, and and for what it's worth, I don't think DC is per- participating either. But that's because DC already announced their Fandom event, which is a similar virtual con kind of thing. So and, and DC probably has a little bit of a head start because they had more stuff closer to post production when uh, when the virus hit. Right, like that James Gunn project, I can't remember the name of. The Suicide Squad? Oh, uh, yeah, that's it. I kept on wanting to say Guardians of the Galaxy, but of course that's oh, not Oh, right, it. right. No, this one's the, the the sequel that's not a sequel, but maybe not a reboot either, so we're really not sure, but it also has some of the same actors from the last one. Yeah, but of course they're not really adhering to continuity anymore. Right, right. For the DC stuff? At least not, not as strictly, no. Which, I... Part of me is like, yay, multiverse! And another part of me is like, are you strong enough for a multiverse right now? Like, I'm I think- fine with I, I, I'm, I'm fine with them using this to sort of 
see what sticks and find their footing, you know? It's just like, I know one of the things that really attract people to Marvel to the Marvel Cinematic Universe are the characters and their investment in the characters. Sure. And, I'm, and my concern is, if you're just throwing a bunch of multiverse stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, that people don't have the attachment to the characters. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, is that, like, with a lot of the Marvel stuff, and, and I love the Marvel movies, but people had to sort of learn who Iron Man was, you know? Like, like a lot of these characters, aside from maybe Hulk and, and maybe Captain America, and of course Spider-Man, like, a lot of these characters are not familiar to general audiences. And so, like, the, the, the strict continuity was a bonus because it created investment where there was not already some. Whereas, like, you take a Batman or a Superman, or a Wonder Woman even, like, they people don't know every single in and out of those characters, but they know the broad strokes. And you can you can paint within those broad strokes to fill in different details. Um, will it work? I don't know. But I, I, you know I'm a little more of a DC apologist when it comes to the movies, so um, I, I'm at least curious to see where they go with it. My argument is that, you know, nobody's really an Iron Man fan. No one's a big fan of, oh, it's the armor. No, they were a fan of Tony Stark, as mm-hmm. played by Robert Downey Jr. I mean, there are there are maybe a handful of fans who I know of, like, say, Van Allen and Plexico, who were actual fans of Tony Stark before the movie. Yeah, I mean, because he, honestly, he was not a big character. Like, his highest profile thing in years had been civil war and he was the villain in that yep yep so it's i i just worry because you know we're getting like um uh, robert pattinson batman but we're also <laughs> getting michael keaton batman which uh, the the michael keaton batman thing i mean we're not a dc podcast but we can talk about this a little bit it it, it sounds like it's part of flashpoint and and it sound i i have a feeling that the movie version of flashpoint will be less not necessarily time travel the way that the comics Flashpoint was, but more multiversal. Mm-hmm. Which, and even if it is time travel like I have nothing against Michael Keaton playing, like, a much older ba- version of Batman, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you're jumping it's forward just, in time. Yeah. Maybe he's playing Batman's dad, too. <laughs> so. Oh, that there, there will, yeah, there has been talk that he might be the, the Thomas Wayne version of Batman. The Earth 2 Batman. Yeah. I don't know. Um, although I, I say, if you're gonna bother to get Keaton back, make him actual old man Bruce and go full Batman Beyond. Like, give me, give me a cyberpunk Batman. You know. Ooh, what if like Michael Keaton's old Bruce and Robert Pattinson's Terry McGinnis? <laughs> I'd watch that. I, I don't know that they're going there because the Robert Pattinson one looks uh, not particularly futuristic. But but it, that would be a take though. True, and of course, did I mention they're freaking talking about bringing back the Ben Affleck Batman? Yeah, yeah, which I'm I'm on board with that too. I I, I am on record as a Batfleck fan. So, so should we talk about the thousand pound ne- neck snapping gorilla in the room? Sure. They HBO Max. Yeah. Is putting out a Snyder cut of Justice League. Yes, and that is a complicated thing to talk about. Yep. Um, it, because on the one hand, I'm incredibly curious to see it. Doesn't mean I think it'll be good, but I'm curious to see it. Mm-hmm. But this this has happened in part 
because of a massive effort from a group of people who have consistently acted in bad faith and been fairly abusive online toward people, and it's not been great. And and so I, I'm, as much as I want to see it, I'm a little bit annoyed that Warner Brothers is rewarding bad behavior. Yes, that is my concern. Uh, and of course now there's all of this noise starting that, oh, well in that case they should also release the air cut of... Uh, uh, Suicide Squad. <laughs> and uh, I don't know that there's any saving that movie. And I don't hate Suicide Squad, by the way. <clears throat> it is a it is a problematic movie, and it's it's sort of a narrative mess. But there are performances in it that I like. There are performances in it I really don't like. But, but I don't know that there's any director's cut version that could fix the problems that I see in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, since we're talking DC, like all of this comes back to the fact that there is a DC streaming service right now that has a lot of this stuff on it. Uh, like you notice, Snyder Cut not coming to DC Universe; it's going to HBO Max. Um, Star Girl uh, debuted on DC Universe, but it sounds like it's making the jump to CW. Yes. Uh, Doom Patrol is a DC Universe original, which is now also on HBO Max. Yep. Um, and, and I am a DC Universe subscriber. I have been from day one. And I like that service a lot. I like most of the original content they've produced. Doom Patrol in particular is awesome, and everyone should check it out. But I worry, because they're, they're, they're putting all their stuff elsewhere, and they've never really embraced the possibilities of their video library. Uh, they don't do the Disney Plus thing and just put everything out there. Um... Like, 99% of DC superhero movies are owned by Warner Brothers entirely. They could put them all there for streaming at any time, but instead they're doing this weird curated rotation where the movies that are available change every so often, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, Netflix does that because they have licensing deals that expire. There's no reason for a DC Universe streaming service not to have all of the DC movies that Warner Brothers owns. Yeah. And I think part of that is, you know, they can advertise, look what's coming to DCU. Right. Right. But then I think I think they're all basically on HBO Max. Yeah. Which it real I really wonder how long it's going to be before DCU is absorbed into HBO Max. Maybe. The the one thing that I would be okay with keeping separate is DC Universe has a fantastic online comics library. Um, yes. Very similar to the the uh, the Marvel comics app, um, Marvel Unlimited. Uh, mm-hmm. But DC has stuff going back to the 30s and 40s. Like, they have been putting all kinds of stuff up there. And it's incredibly rare that I look for something and cannot find at least part of it there. Uh, I think the last time that happened was I was looking for the Jack Kirby graphic novel The Hunger Dogs, which is his like conclusion to his original new gods stuff like the his end of the fourth world was hunger dogs and they didn't have that but that was like the first thing in a while that i couldn't find um i used dc universe when the aquaman movie came out because i did a full reread of the early part of the peter david run of aquaman before that movie came out hmm uh i'm yeah Anyway, we, we've sort of gone way off topic, but... Uh, but just, the, be, just a bit. Yeah, but the main thing is uh, Marvel Studios not participating in Comic-Con, 
Um, and then finally, also convention related, is that uh, we finally got confirmation that Dragon Con, the uh, the big con down in Atlanta that happens every Labor Day weekend, is also going virtual. They are not going to have an in-person convention. They are issuing either the ability to roll over your badge or uh, take a refund. Uh, and it looks like most of the hotels are, are cooperating as well. But but it looks like they are going to be doing virtual events instead of uh, instead of an in-person con. Which, it makes sense. Yeah, but Dragon Con being Dragon Con, they're even doing a virtual costume contest of some sort. Nice, nice. Although this would actually give me the chance to attend Dragon Con this year. Right. <laughs> I never get We're, to go. No, me neither. Especially since we've been locked in this tomb. So. Right, right. So, that could be cool. Yeah, but but anyway, I, I feel bad for the people who were planning to go and and for the 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 creators who had planned to show their wares at vendor tables. Um, yeah, yeah. So th- there's definitely people losing some economic opportunity here, and we feel bad for them. But also, stay inside and wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. Poverty is preferable to death, maybe. And of course. Uh, it goes without saying that as of July 3rd, Hamilton is available. Why would I cut that out? <laughs> Why would I cut that out? <laughs> I'm not throwing away my shot, Trey. <sighs> and I... this is where we lose a solid 40% of our listeners, but don't worry. You'll be back. <laughs> so how many times have you watched it? Uh, twice. Uh, I watched it once. We so. we uh, I watched it like just straight through, and then uh, the Lin Manuel Miranda and a couple of other people involved in the production did a live tweet uh, while it was playing, and so I, I followed along with that. Nice. I did a watch through starting at like ten o'clock, ending at one o'clock. Yeah, which, which of was... course you know it was it was like technically. That was my third and fourth time seeing the show, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw it on Broadway. Jeez, we know. With the original cast. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? With that, we're gonna take a break while I go pummel. I mean, while we take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our coverage of Vampire Tales number four. Right after this beating, I mean message. The Too Old, Too New Podcast, a show dedicated to reviewing books from the bins and recent reads. I'm Bill. And I'm Seth. Be sure to listen to us on our Too Old, Too New Comic Book Podcast, where we talk about two old comic books and two new comic books every episode. Comic book fans don't miss out. Too Old, Too New is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thought you could never be frightened by a television movie. Watch what happens to the citizens of Salem's Lot. Is something evil killing the people in Salem's Lot? Or are they killing each other? Run! No! A terrifying three-hour special movie presentation Tuesday. Watch it with someone you trust. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. I'm Trey Lawson. And your first book for today is a magazine. We're looking at Vampire Tales number four. And uh, we're really mostly going to talk about one story, because there's one big Michael Morbius vampire story here. Uh, I I have some notes on the rest of the magazine. We can 
talk about that as we go. But but really, in terms of summary, I've got one story for you here, and that is called Lighthouse of the Possessed. It's written by Don McGregor, arts and I- art and inks by Tom Sutton, and edited by Roy Thomas. Hungry for blood, Michael Morbius stalks and feeds on his next victim, a man named Jason Knight, in the town of Malevolence, Maine. Disgusted with what he's become, Morbius walks through the town, trying to avoid any reminders of his monstrousness. He reflects that Amanda Saint, whom he rescued from an occult sect, is the only one who doesn't recoil from him in terror. He should have left her, and spared her the danger of traveling with a living vampire, but instead, he has taken her to Maine to find her missing parents. He returns to the boarding house where Amanda waits, and after a brief confrontation with the nosy landlady Mrs. Agnes, they are startled by the deformed visage and hooked prosthetic of Oliver, apparently Mrs. Agnes's deaf handyman who was injured out on the bay years ago. Once alone, Morbius and Amanda note how malignant and foreboding the town of Malevolence seems to be, and Amanda tells Morbius a little more about her family, who weren't especially close or affectionate, even before her mother joined a demon cult. One day, after Amanda's mother had disappeared, her father said he knew where to find her mother, and left for this very town, never to be seen again. Meanwhile, downtown, two characters named Brock and Arlene are working on the campaign for the town mayor, Duke Mannery, who notably stopped the old lighthouse from being torn down. Brock is all in on Mannery, and excited to work on his next political campaign, while Arlene is skeptical and wonders why Mannery works with a creepy, quote, godfather type like Monty Harris. Our focus then shifts to the lighthouse, where a cloaked figure called Bloodtide by the cultists slowly enters, leaving a trail of slime, seaweed, and blood. Amanda's mother warns Bloodtide that Amanda is in town and is a threat to the cult. Bloodtide decides that Amanda must suffer the same fate as her father, and Morbius must be punished for aiding her. Later, as Morbius and Amanda watch the TV in their room, Bloodtide instructs Oliver to kill the girl. The pair discuss politics as Oliver creeps up behind them. As he swings his hook, Morbius and Amanda dive out of the way. Morbius defenestrates Oliver, and the hooked man is killed by shards of glass from the window. Morbius is unable to resist the blood now pooling around him, and as Amanda watches in horror, he feasts on the dead man's blood. Amanda flees in terror from the vampire, just as an axe wielded by Mrs. Agnes swings past her head. Morbius comes to Amanda's aid once again, as even more townspeople arrive under the power of blood tide and brandishing weapons. They try to flee the mob, but are quickly surrounded, compelling Morbius to leap into action once again. Throughout their escape, Amanda tries to ask Morbius about his horrific behavior earlier, but the vampire tells her to quit prattling and keep moving. Their path takes them to a calmer part of town, where Brock and Arlene are walking home, and still debating politics. Suddenly, <coughs> excuse me. Suddenly, Morbius and Amanda are attacked by a being who appears to be blood-tied, swinging an axe and cutting deep into Morbius's wrist. And Bloodtide is shocked when blood does not flow from the wound. Morbius, fed up with everything at this point, attacks again and embeds the axe in his opponent's head. <coughs> Inspecting the body, he removes a rubber mask, Scooby-Doo style, revealing Amanda's mother. Morbius then reveals he suspected as much, since despite the disguise, she neglected to remove her wedding ring, which Morbius then takes for Amanda. 
He then carries the unconscious Amanda away from the carnage. Like Zoink Scoob! It's all Lady Saint! <laughs> that was all I could think of when I saw the panel with the mask coming off. It's it's a fairly ridiculous little story. It is. It is. <clears throat> and it's especially ridiculous when you take into consideration how much we enjoyed the Michael Morbius story in Adventures into Fear. Which is also a ridiculous story, by the way. Oh yeah, it's totally ridiculous. But way more fun. Way more fun. This is a pretty standard horror cult tale. Yeah, this is... It's like they're trying to put Morbius in the middle of a Lovecraft story. Yes. Like, this is, full, in- this is full-on, like, Shadow over Innsmouth type stuff. Yes. We, we even have a New England town. Right, right. And, and in fact, it, it's sort of interesting that I think last the last magazine we talked about had... I think it was Dracula Lives. The last Dracula Lives we talked about had that story about Dracula going to Maine. And it was a similar sort of, like, Dracula by way of New England horror kind of thing. Yes. And now we hear it again. Complete with Lighthouse. Right, right. And, it, you know, it's it's. I think I like this part better than the last part. Yeah. But it's still it, not great. It's more coherent than the last yeah. part. Yeah. Um, the only thing is it feels like there's all kinds of stuff that's taking up space, and it must be setting up for something in the next part of the story. Like the couple working for the guy running for, I guess, senator or mayor? Right. And I guess they're not technically a couple, but they are the the man and the woman. Yeah. The, the, who we meet. Uh, I had to look up their names. Brock and Arlene. Oh, those are such good names. <laughs> <clears throat> Meanwhile... Poor old Jason Knight gets offed on the first page. He has a great name. Yeah, yeah. He, that is a great name. He just He's just dead. Like, Jason Knight ought to be, like, Marvel's version of Etrigan the Demon or something. Yes. That, that was my exact thought. Like, this guy has to be something extraordinary. And he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. I, you know, I really like Don McGregor as a writer. I don't know that he's suited to Morbius. And I don't know if that's a problem of the magazine format or a problem of the character. It's just... I don't know. Because I remember enjoying his Black Panther stuff back in the day when I read oh, it. Oh, yeah. The, the, his Black Panther run is iconic. Um, I will say the, the Tom Sutton art is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an improvement. Did Tom Sutton do the artwork last time? Um, the last magazine? Yeah. Um, I feel like he didn't. I don't remember. Um, give me two seconds here. Um, that was trying to find which one was the Morbius story. Demon Fire was the Morbius story. No, it was uh, Rich Buckler. Okay, <clears throat> I remember we didn't hate Rich Buckler either. So yeah, yeah. But the the early issues of Vampire Tales were were not great as far as the Morbius story art. Yeah, I think I think the Morbius art's been pretty good so far, except for that one issue in Adventures into Fear. Mm-hmm. Where everyone where looks slightly off-model. Slightly off-model. Bodies are really weirdly extended. Yep, yep. It's like a 1990s comic. Yeah. Before and, and, 1990s. And I like, I like the art here, and I like the art in the most recent Adventure into Fear, but for different reasons. Like, Adventure into Fear, they're drawing Morbius as vampiric superhero 
And here, they're drawing Morbius as a horror character. Yeah. And, and, and I think he can exist as both, but I think we've sort of landed on, we prefer him more in the sort of adventuring mold than in the straight-up horror mold. Yeah, it's just... And again, I think it's just our personal preference. We do prefer that Steve Gerber weirdness. Yes, absolutely. And and even even something like this, I think Gerber maybe would have had a more interesting take on, you know? Like, this just feels like a very straightforward New England horror story with Morbius inserted. Like, it's, it's yeah. only a... There are only maybe two or three moments in the comic where it matters that Morbius is Morbius. Yes, and it's far more important that he is Morbius in the Avengers of the Fear story. Yes, yes. Whereas here, we open with him feeding... We have him give in to his bloodlust, which clues Amanda into what he is. And then at the end, he's hit with the axe and doesn't bleed. And that's it. Those are the three moments where it matters that he's a vampire. Yeah. Just Also, have people stopped becoming vampires when he bites them? I think so. Because so far we've only had that one person. Yes. I think they've dropped that. At least for now. I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, because he's not a real vampire. Quote unquote. No, and that was a weird story. It was. Yeah. Yeah, no. This is this was fine. It's it's not especially memorable. I'm a little curious to see where it goes just because of all of the characters that showed up in this installment that didn't do anything. <laughs> like I'm kind of <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious how that how those two threads are going to intersect again. Yes. But that that's about it. Um as far as other material here, um I read the letters page and there was lots of praise for Hodiah Twist, and I think we can both get behind that. Yeah. Uh, if you don't remember, that was the uh, the vampire story from a previous issue of Vampire Tales that was sort of a, a riff on Sherlock Holmes. Yes, I, I, I do remember that one. And it's it was just so much fun. Yes. Um, also, I had to write down this quote from, uh, from a letter from John Drake because, boy howdy, was he prophetic. Uh, and I'm going to read it word for word here. Quote, Chris Claremont is going to be one super cool writer if he's loose, if he's turned loose on a mag such as, hint, the X-Men. Wow. This was like a full year before Claremont got the X-Men. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was from John Drake of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, saying that Chris Claremont would be awesome on the X-Men. Well... You were right, John. You were right. <laughs> Where is he from again? Uh, Philly. John Drake, the Oracle of Philly. Got it. <laughs> you know, that might just be Claremont writing his own letter. <laughs> just going ahead and shooting his shot. Yeah, that happens sometimes back in the day, you know? somebody That's from the true. Bull- They didn't have letters for something, so they had somebody from the bullpen just write a letter. Right. Um, and... As far as the rest of the magazine, um, speaking of Claremont, uh, he's got another prose piece uh, examining vampire lore. This time it's about international vampire traditions. Um, It mentions Lilith, which more on her later in the magazine, and uh, also ends with like, I don't know if this is real or not, but it ends with what Claremont claims is an Assyrian prayer to exorcise vampires, which is pretty cool. You know, always helpful to have. I guess. <laughs> um, after that is another of the uh, get-to-know-the-writer-artist pieces that Marvel has been running in these magazines, this mm. time on Jerry Conway. Okay. It's fun. It, it's just sort of 
humorously self-deprecating. He ends with a postscript. It's a little more than 500 words, Tony, and I'm not too sure about the modest part. But is it at least as witty as Don McGregor? Huh, Tony? Huh? Now do I get my money? (laughs) Oh. Uh, After that's a reprint from Journey into Unknown Worlds. Then there's a new comic called A Vampire's Home is His Castle, um, which doesn't feature any of our characters that we've been covering, but it's by uh, Doug Munch and someone named Lombardia, who doesn't have any credits in Mike's Amazing World besides this one magazine, so I'm guessing that's a pseudonym. We could probably find out who's the pseudonym for. Yeah. Um, I, I did just superficial Googling and couldn't find a whole lot, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, did you add case, Marvel it, to the end of it? I did not, no. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's another, like, it's a contemporary comic. It was it was a, a new story, but very much in the style of the old horror comic, uh, O. Henry-type twists. Um, in this case, it's about a vampire who compels a stonecutter to make some repairs to his crumbling castle. And while the vampire is out feeding, the stonecutter gets revenge by transforming the castle into a giant cross. Uh, after that's another prose piece by don mcgregor um which is a celebration of the richard matheson haunted house movie hell house um while also sort of bemoaning that the genre is slowly dying um but he's kind of wrong there because these things go in cycles and haunted house movies have like regular revivals every so many years yeah i mean this is before amityville horror if i remember correctly um only just but yeah and of course, and certainly before something like Poltergeist. Yeah, so I think it, it's it's not so much as dying; it was just waiting for the right vehicle. Yeah, well, and it's a point of transition. Hell House is more in the style of the Corman or the Hammer horror stuff than, say, The Exorcist. And so there, there was a shift from period horror to contemporary horror, and it took a while for that for the shift to go back to supernatural stuff, like fully supernatural stuff. Yeah. So, so anyway, it's an interesting piece, mainly because I, I like the movie Hell House, so it's interesting to see what Don McGregor has to say about it. Uh, after that is another reprint from Mystery Tales. Uh, then another story, which is new but doesn't feature any of our Marvel characters, called The Drifting Snow. That one's by Tony Isabella and Esteban Marato. Uh, and that one's based on a short story by August Derleth. And that's worth mentioning just because we already talked about the sort of New England style of the Morbius story. And August Derleth is the guy who was the first person to publish H.P. Lovecraft's writing in book form. Uh, he was the founder of Arkham House um, and, and wrote a bunch of cosmic horror and Cthulhu mythos stuff in his own right. Um, so that, that's really the main thing of note there. Uh, the, the story itself isn't that great. It's uh, interesting in that even though it's kind of a vampire story, it borrows heavily from, like, vengeful ghost stories. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It, it, the art's good, but I, I, the story is... I, I don't even think it's one of Derleth's best stories. So, um, And then finally, finally, uh, we have uh, a one-pager, also from Tony Isabella, this time with art by Ernie Chua. And it is a one-pager called Lilith the First vampire. And I believe this is the first appearance of Lilith in a Marvel comic. Yep. Meaning like the legendary Lilith. Not right. say, not necessarily the Ghost Rider villain, although 
She claims to be that person. Yeah, so it's kind of her first appearance. Right. Um, it, it's funny because uh, if you if you look up Lilith on the Marvel fandom page, the, the Marvel wiki, like it lists Ghost Rider as the first appearance, but also lists this magazine. It lists two first appearances? It, it doesn't list this one as first appearance, but it does list it. But that would make it the first, the first appearance. I know, I know. I mean, I know. it's... Like it's like that Frankenstein situation we had. Yeah. Where well, no, that's a robot, but I guess we do see the original Frankenstein monster in flashback. Right. Right. Uh, and anyway, uh, the 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 one pager basically just tells the the legend of Lilith, which is set in and around the Old Testament book of Genesis, uh, in which Lilith was the first wife of Adam. But a trio of angels killed her children because she was not sufficiently submissive. And as a result, Lilith became a vampiric entity and sought revenge by trying to kill the children of Adam and Eve. The same three angels that set her on this path uh, also prevented her from completing that revenge and condemned her to wander the earth. Yep. A justifiably pissed off woman. Yes. Yes. And and that's really it for the magazine. Um, like I said, we've got that one big Morbius story and the rest kind of feels like filler. Like not all of it. I mean, if if you're if you're just looking for a bunch of horror stories, you know, like the the August Derleth adaptation is fine. Um, the vampire getting his castle turned into a cross is it's kind of goofy, but it's goofy in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's this isn't the worst issue of of Vampire Tales we've had, but it, it's consistently not as good as Tales of the Zombie or Dracula Lives. Yeah. Um, it isn't, and I think this is the first top of the magazines we lose, right? Uh, probably so. It runs 11 issues. Okay. Still a bit to go for us, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say I do love, and this is not the first time we've seen it. I think I pointed it out before, but I do love the Marvel Monster Group logo at the corner of the cover. Morbius peeking over the, the comic. Yep, yep. That's a good logo. I like that. It is. Um... Uh, and then, uh, set up for next time, we have more of Morbius versus Bloodtide. We have the return of Satana. And uh, we have an article on Dark Shadows, the TV series. Ooh, that should be interesting. I, I've only seen the 90s revival. Which is also good. Um, and uh, features Sarek from the Kelvin timeline as Barnabas Collins. It does. You're right. He's a good Barnabas Collins. Yes. Um, I, I'm a little concerned at the last line of the 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 uh, advertisement, though, and even more photos and articles than ever before. That's a lot of photos and articles because we usually get a ton anyway. Right, like it sounds like they're having to pad these out with filler. Although it's it's a good thing we're not getting like the lame caption jokes anymore oh yeah yeah and i i you still get one or two but they're usually not so much humorous captions it's usually more just descriptive captions yeah laying the groundwork for the story right and i've usually been skipping over those but but they are there yeah um and i think that pretty much does it for vampire tales we have one decent but not great morbius installment and then a bunch of other stuff okay So, I guess we'll be right back with Werewolf by Night number 16, right after this message. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 
10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. Nestle Ice Cream celebrates Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's in theaters everywhere. And now all the magic comes to life with Hunchback of Notre Dame movie cups from Nestle Cool Creations. Each cup has a fun character from the movie, character-shaped sweet tarts, and rich ice cream. What a cool way to relive Disney's hot new movie. Hunchback of Notre Dame movie cups from Nestle Cool Creations. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our next and last issue for the episode is Werewolf by Night, number 16. Covered in, and this one is April 1974. Writer is Gary Friedrich. Artist is Mike Plug. Inker is Frank Chiaramonte. Letterer is Artie Simic. Colorist is Linda Lesman. Editor is Roy Thomas. And guys, I'm going to do this one like I did last time because it was just so gosh darn fun. What we're liking to call the Make Ours Marvel Method. Apologies to those guys. And I'm just going to kind of read this off on fly. Kind of make a summary on fly here about the story. So on the cover here, we've got the werewolf fighting the hunchback of Notre Dame. And if you have any doubt about who that is exactly, it says it right there on the cover. He lives again, the hunchback of Notre Dame. And we pick up in an airport in Paris, which is interesting because we were just in Transylvania. But we pick up in an airport in Paris where Jack Russell is beset upon by the appearance of a fourth full moon, which he wasn't expecting, and transforms into the werewolf. He rampages through the airwolf through the airport for a second. <laughs> through the <laughs> for the airwolf. <laughs> <laughs> he rampages to the airport for a second there and runs across the tarmac and is barely missed by a landing jet plane. Flattened by a jet plane, don't know when I'll be live again. Anyway, it turns out that that jet plane is being hijacked by a security guard hired to protect it. A hunchback in a red beret. And he is doing all this for some reason because he wants to, I think, be killed by the cops. Maybe. But the girl Topez, who only appeared a few issues ago but is already a central part of this book now, it rushes to the plane to help control the werewolf. Because the werewolf is like, 
hey, this big metal bird tried to land on me, so I'm going to go fuck it up. And the werewolf sneaks onto the plane and goes toward the head of the plane for some reason, it's not really clear, and starts fighting the hunchback security guard. Well, I don't think he's ever given a name here, so, you know, he's just going to be the hunchback. Poor guy. And it's revealed that in addition to being a hunchback, he is a mutant who has, in addition to his deformed state, it has enhanced strength and endurance, hence why he is able to fight the werewolf. Topaz gets onto the plane, and her presence makes Jack Russell briefly take back control of the werewolf body, but this leaves him open to a punch from the hunchback, which means he falls unconscious, and the hunchback kidnaps Topaz and takes her as a hostage so he can escape the police who have also arrived at the airport. And so the hunchback has to, sorry, the werewolf has to track them through the streets of Paris to find where the hunchback has taken Topaz. And of course, even though the nearest airport is like 10 miles away, they end up at the Cathedral de Notre Dame. The werewolf chases the hunchback and Topaz through up to the bell tower and they have a big fighty fight on the bell tower and Topaz is able to get Jack to regain control of the werewolf but it's too late because the hunchback um, loses his hand his, I guess his not his hand, his, his okay, no, the werewolf throws the hunchback off the bell tower just as Topaz is able to regain control and allow no, Jack Russell to remain, regain control. And Jack tries to catch the hunchback, but he is, slips out of his grasp and dies. So the werewolf kills the guy straight up. Yeah. And, and of course, we end with the werewolf crying. Even a werewolf can cry. So is it just me or is this a weird issue? It's a weird issue. Uh, I, I'll start off with this. I love the credits at the top of the first page because... The creative team is credited as Mike's, Friedrich, Friedrich, and Plug. Yep. Because we basically have our Frankenstein team back together again. Yes, we do. And I feel like this is not as good as that book. No, although it's doing the thing where it's recycling horror tropes. Sort of, although that cover's really misleading. It is very misleading. Because of it's course not it is... the hunchback of Notre Dame, as no, in he is... lives again. No, this is not Quasimodo. This is, this is just a mutant who got the short end of the power stick. Yeah, it's a mutant who was made a hunchback by his mutant powers. Right. And, and also, not to be confused with the Marvel character Quasimodo, who's a sentient robot built by the Mad Thinker. Oh, wow, you're right. I forgot all about that guy. Right? <laughs> wow. That would have been so much more interesting of a fight. It would have. And that character was around at this point because he debuted in the 60s. Yes, and I think it's buried on an island somewhere at this point because of some stuff that happened, I think, in Fantastic Four. I was going to say, probably in an FF book. Yeah, I want to say yes, because he's the one who resurrects the Golden Age Human Torch. Yes, (coughs) that is correct. Yes, my knowledge of obscure Marvel trivia wins again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, they... It felt like they had to really work hard to have an excuse for Jack to end up loose in Paris. Yes, they did. It it just feels extremely 1970s where... Oh, the skyjacking plot? 
the skyjacking plot, yeah, which we've just seen in Dracula Lives. Yep, done better. Done way better, yeah. Um, and and in, in both cases, especially this one, feels very, like, something out of a canon movie, you know? <laughs> one of my first notes here is werewolves on a plane. Because <laughs> that's what this feels like. Yeah, um... I mean, I, I have expected to see Robert Forster playing a terrorist or something. <laughs> um, no, and, you know, it, you mentioned in your summary that the the Hunchback's plan seems to be suicidal. Yes. And I don't... I'm glad you said that because I could not figure out what his motivation was there, like what he was actually trying to accomplish. And I, I would bet you that it was originally supposed to be more clear... But because of the comics code, they couldn't say it. More clear that he just he wanted to get killed. Yeah, that he was trying to like commit suicide by cop. Yeah, which is harder in France than in here. Right. So it's just I I kinda, I like that he's a mutant. Sure. No, that's fine. Again, Werewolf by Night continues to be the monster comic inching closer and closer to superhero comics. True. We've not yet gotten giant size. Dracula and Spider-Man, which right. we will get eventually. Or the wizard's duel between Dracula and Doctor Strange. Yep. Because that's a thing to look forward to. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I will also say, um, you know, we've we've got Plug, but I was a little disappointed by the art. It's serviceable. It's, I mean, it's not bad. It just doesn't have any of the creative flourishes that I associate with Plug doing the werewolf. Well, yeah. That is a we, problem. We don't even get a full transformation sequence. He literally goes from panel as angry Jack Russell to panel as angry werewolf. Yes. Yes, he does. So, it is it is somewhat disappointing. That's true. But, and again, it, it's, not, it's not a bad comic. It's just, it's weird. And like you said with Dracula Lives, like it, it ended up reminding me of a better version of the story. I don't know. Yeah. It's just... You're right, it's just... It's weird. It's an excuse for a bunch of fight scenes, which I guess they're fine, but there's there's no character development, there's no real forward movement on Jack and Topaz's relationship, really. Although I do like what she brings to the book in terms of, thanks to Topaz, we get more moments of Jack's mind in the werewolf's body, which is cool. Yes. That is also something like... It's... It... it points to a transition in Jack Russell's transformation. I mean, we're already getting some something different here where we're getting a fourth full moon right. where previously we've not gotten that. Right. And there's a there's an editor's note on that, I think. Uh, that... Where was that? Uh, yeah, normally Jack Russell loses his human identity three times a month during the nights of a full moon, but this month the full moon... The, the moon rises full not three times, but four. Um, and that note was from Lycanthropic Roy. Hmm. I did not know Roy Thomas was a werewolf. Are we surprised? No. No. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but y- you really would think Jack Russell would carry around an almanac or something. Would be helpful. One of those little calendars that has the phases of the moon marked on it. Something like that. Ooh, that does sound nice. Because he just keeps getting... Like, at least here, he was he knew to expect three transformations. He was just surprised by the fourth. He can get one of those watches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because by sure that they, point, they had those watches. They did, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Like I say, it it, it feels like... It feels like a, an excuse for a bunch of fight scenes, 
but there's no real plot here. No, it's it's an excuse for a plot uh, for a fight scene with a horror character. It, it's almost like someone said, "Well, while we've got him in Europe, we ought to do this." Yes, which it'll be interesting to see where they go next issue. What was the blurb for next issue? Um, next issue, the trap. So Vegas hell. Yes, yes. Um, but we did get one mention at the very beginning of the committee, which that's the first time that Jack has even seemed concerned about the committee in a while. Yeah. So I, I would not be surprised if we were headed towards something involving them. Well, that's... Uh, I've got I've mixed feelings about that, because for, on the one hand, I was kind of happy to be past that huh. and see them well, go we're, to we're new... We were nowhere near past the committee. Yeah, it's just I thought we were going to new and exciting things. Yeah. Um, but I guess not. So but that's okay. I, I just looked at the cover for next issue. Uh-oh. It is weird. <laughs> okay, now now I'm intrigued. Um, behold the behemoth. That's not a trap. Um, no, it's not. It's a giant, bald, gray-green guy bursting through a brick wall, Kool-Aid Man style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and according to the wiki... Um, we get appearances from uh, Philip Russell, uh, Lisa Russell, uh, Detective Lou Hackett, and Buck Cohen. Yay! Buck Cohen! Woo! So, so that's something to look forward to, at least. Doesn't sound like a trap at all, but... <laughs> no, unless it's them getting, us, getting our hopes up. So... That's... Yep. Yeah. Mm. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, and that's like I said, though the way this this story feels so detached from everything else going on in the book, you could literally go anywhere from here because it doesn't really set up anything. No, no, and that's been going on for a while now. Yeah, yeah. There's not a whole lot of like long form storytelling, except I mean, I guess the only real example we've had lately was the crossover with Dracula. <laughs> like that gave us a solid like two or three issues of storytelling. Yep. So, it'll be interesting. Amazingly, that kind of does it for the books we had today. Yeah, I think it does, but not for the episode. That's right. Because not only will we be back in just a minute or two talking about the latest results from the Thomas Tournament, but we have a letter from you, the listeners! Well, maybe not you specifically, but a listener. Right. Although it could be you, someday. Yeah, it might be you, if you're the person <laughs> we're reading the letter from. Right. So, but we'll be, we'll be getting to that right after these messages. Did you leave the car running, Andy? I did. I'm not sure why, but I did. It, it, it's important. Like getting these comics from Ryan and Chris's Nightcast offices. Why are we getting these comics from Ryan and Chris? So, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman, so we're getting the comics from them to do that. And, and they know that we're doing this? What? That we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines Ten Nights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time. Yeah, Andy. The, the series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Busting my balls and everything. 
All right, right, right. Let's let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours so I can get my flight home. No problem. I got the comics right here. What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike? Yes, Andy? We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy. And when you told me to get the box out of the car, you were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy. So what do we do now? Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailytude Podcasting Network, located at www.fortressofbailytude.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. I'm gonna barbecue your ass in molasses! Hey, pretty funny movie, huh? What are you, a nut? This is scary. Scary? This isn't scary. If you want horror, you gotta go with the classics. Dracula, Frankenstein, the wolf man. Ooh, spooky, huh? Oh, they're cool. I could send one to my mother. <laughs> You'd mail these? These are special editions. You're really starting to freak me out. Special edition stamps now at the post office. Some stamps you just can't lick. Welcome back to Believers, and we're going to end up this episode this week with a rundown of the latest results of the Thomas Tournament from our master of data, Mr. Trey Lawson. Okay, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and uh, so we're going to go all the way back to week three, which was uh, the, the last week that we did not give you updates on, and so in the Marvel bracket for week three, we had Iron Fist versus Nighthawk. And Iron Fist handily won that 80% to 20%. So uh, we have Iron Fist moving on to the next round in the Marvel bracket. And in the DC bracket for week three, we had Johnny Thunder versus Dr. Midnight 2. And that one ended in a tie. 50-50 even split. We will have to figure out what to do about that later, folks. Uh, I'm thinking knife fight in the phone arena. I'm pretty sure both of them got retconned away several years ago, so I don't Damn. know if there's anyone left to fight. Okay, well, something else then. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, going to week four, in the DC bracket, we had Fury, a.k.a. Helena Cosmatos, easily beating Nuclon, and that was an 85.7 to 14.3 split. I was really surprised that one, but go on. Yeah, Nuclon is by far the more well-known character. Yep. Albeit not a particularly likable one. Yeah, there's a there's a, I think there's a genocide in there somewhere. He, he his JSA run was not great. No. That was during the Jeff Johns era. Yeah. Um, and and so that was the the DC bracket for week four. Marvel bracket for week four. We had Werewolf by Night beating Ultron. Yep. Yep. We, and y'all, we sh- I am here for it. I'm confused by it. See, the thing is, 
We didn't specify which Ultron. Okay. And I'm old enough to remember a little storyline called Acts of Vengeance. Okay. Where Daredevil beat Ultron with a stick. Was it at least an adamantium stick? No! (laughs) (sighs) And if Daredevil can beat Ultron, by golly, Werewolf by Night can. I mean, if Daredevil can beat anybody can, let's be honest here. Um, And that does it for week four. Moving on to week five. In the Marvel bracket, we had Son of Satan, Damon Hellstrom, easily beating cosmic hero Adam Warlock. And that was a 75-25 split. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for it because I like Hellstrom better than Adam Warlock. But I kind of thought that Warlock was more popular than that. Yeah, I I was certain that Adam Warlock stands would jump in and save Adam in that one. But apparently... Because isn't he always, like, the guy that people want to be in the MCU? Um, like, they've been trying to, like, will him into the Guardians series for several movies now. Yes. To the point where the post-credits for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, he's kind of there. Right. The, the cocoon or whatever. Yeah, the cocoon. Um, so, in the DC bracket for, uh, that was, what, week, uh, five, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, week five. Um, we had uh, Tsunami beating Mechanicae, 75-25. And if you've never heard of those characters, it's because they were in the Earth 2 book, uh, All-Star Squadron. Yep. Um, which, not even All-Star Squadron, Young All-Stars. Right, right, Young All-Stars. Uh, and Mechanicae was like a 23rd century robot person. And then Tsunami is... Hydrokinetic controls water. Yep. Uh, now, honestly, that's how I would have voted too. Yeah. And so that's that does it for uh, week five, week six. Uh, Firebrand beat Obsidian. That's two more of the Earth Two DC characters. Again, um, I'm really surprised by that one. Me too. It was close. It was fifty-four and a half, forty-five and a half. Okay. So it that was makes close. it feel a little bit better. Yeah. But Obsidian, again, by far the better known character because he had a much longer shelf life through books like JSA. He was on a CW show. Recently, even. Yeah. Played by the guy who played Bishop in uh, Alien. Yep. Yep. Um, You'd think he would, you know, win. Yep. Um, And so in the DC bracket, or sorry, in the, uh, the Marvel bracket for week six... We had Man-Thing handily defeating uh, Captain America look-alike, the Red Guardian. Yep, despite his upcoming appearance in Black Widow. Right. Um, our, our fans, they, they, I'm sensing a bias in their part. I mean, everybody stands the Man-Thing. Uh, you know, especially giant size. <laughs> Next! Okay, so that was week six. Week seven, uh, Kill Raven beat Satana, 62 and a half, 37 and a half. Okay, see, that blows my theory out of the water. <laughs> you know, I've never read much of the Kill Raven stuff, but I've always heard it's good. Uh, it's because, like, I would, well, my theory was that, you know, people were voting for the horror characters because, you know, we are a Marvel horror podcast, but apparently Kill Raven... Anything goes. Yeah, anything goes here, so, you know, this could still be anyone's tournament. It's not going to necessarily be Jack Russell coming out on top. This is true. Although, this is true. I would laugh my butt off. <laughs> uh, and in the DC bracket uh, for that week, we had Hippolyta Trevor Hall 
easily beating the Superman stand-in Iron Monroe. And that was 80-20. Hmm. And I, I figure people saw Hippolyta and, and thought Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, and Which you know you're supposed to look at Iron Monroe. But not the character the, you're thinking. You're supposed to look at Iron Monroe and think Superman. Right. But it doesn't necessarily transfer that way. Right. Um, and we have two uh, uh, contests that, as we record, are still going, but they will be over by the time this releases. So I can at least give you an update of where things stand as we record. And uh, that is uh, in the Marvel bracket. We have Luke Cage versus Red Sonia. Mm-hmm. And right now, Luke Cage is just barely ahead, 54 and a half to 45 and a half. Wow. Which is close. Wow. Anyone's ballgame. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then in the DC bracket for this week is actually another close one. We have Flying Fox at 57.1% ahead of Dragon King at 42.9%. Now, Dragon King, that's the guy who kept a bunch of dragons in his Oklahoma Zoo... <laughs> And um, got. Uh, a, let, let, you want to try World War II era Japanese supervillain? I mean, is there meth? <laughs> Honestly, probably. I'm there. <laughs> and of course, Flying Fox is yet another Trinity stand-in. So, if you're, for those who aren't aware, uh, Flying Fox and Iron Monroe were characters created by Roy Thomas because due to the crisis on infinite earths he could no longer put golden age batman and superman in his uh earth 2 book yep because it was no longer an earth 2 book exactly yeah comics be wild y'all yep Um, and that gets us up to date on the thomas tournament as of july 8th but there's more more you say more i say because we have a letter! Yeah, coming from Joe. Last name withheld. Hi, Joe. Subject line is love the show. Aw, that's nice. Greetings, fellow state name redacted. <laughs> a, few, a few months back, I purchased volume one of the Tomb of Dracula trade paperback series. And while searching for more info on the comics, stumbled across your podcast. I've been making my way through your back catalog of shows and I've been enjoying them so much that I've purchased additional trade paperbacks of Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing, and Dracula so that I can follow along with you. You hear that, Marvel? Sponsor us. Hey, yeah, we want our cut. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm a longtime fan of the original Ghost Rider series, so even though I no, long, no longer have those issues, I read them enough to remember most of the storylines you've discussed so far. This week, I have finally caught up with the show, and I'm now impatiently waiting for the next installment. As I wait, I was wondering, do you plan on reviewing the original Spider-Woman comic from the 1970s? Although more of a mainstream superhero now, her original series, especially in the beginning, had a more gothic, supernatural tone to it, with appearances by Jack Russell and Morgan Le Fay herself becoming a reoccurring nemesis. The catchphrase for earlier issues was even, to know her, is to fear her. Anyway, guys, I just wanted to thank you for helping me make, help make 2020 a bit more bearable, and I can't wait to hear the latest from Hellstrom Watch. By the way, having never really followed the character, I really thought his name was Hellstrom before you guys set me straight. Sincerely, Joe from City Name Redacted. Well, huh. thank you, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Um, it's cool to hear that that he's like following along with us. That's all I've done that with comics podcasts before. So it's cool yep. to hear that other people do that. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I, I do it too, and it's it's nice not to be alone. And yeah, we we haven't really talked about the. Uh, and this is the Jessica Drew Spider Woman, the original Spider Woman. Um, we haven't talked about how we're going to handle that, but Joe's got a point. The, her, the early run is a little more horror inflected. Which, I mean, since Jack Russell's going to be in it, I guess we we are going to cover it at some point. Yeah, it's just I don't know if we'll do every single issue of the run, but but as as it weaves in and out of the horror stuff, we we could, and we can even look to whether. Like, certain villains are more, like, monster-themed. I know for a fact that that series gets really weird... Yes. ...based off of constantly fluctuating creative teams. Yes, yes. Where things get retconned, and then a few issues later for New Rider, it's retconned back. Yep, yep. Like, not even a few years, a few issues between retcons. <laughs> I mean, th- yeah, well, but the character was basically just created so that they could hold the trademark. Yes. And there was a point where they didn't want her to be too similar to Spider-Man. And now, of course, she's wearing a Spider-Man costume. Right. Which is weird. But yeah, we're also thrilled that you're actually picking up the books to read along with us. Um, Marvel and or Comixology slash Amazon. If you hear this, we can use the sponsorship. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, definitely. And if, if you want to be awesome like Joe and let us know your thoughts about the show or the comics we're covering, or anything else related to what the what we talk about on this show, uh, please write to us. Yeah, you can reach us at our email address, that just like Joe did, that's tombofideas at gmail.com. Oh yeah, we're also on Twitter, at tombofideas. Right, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tombofideas. Right, and, and of course, our home... Uh, as far as the, the show hosting and everything else, is at Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X dot com. Uh, go to their website, click on podcasts, click on Tomb of Ideas. You'll find our whole back catalog there, as well as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're probably there. And please, like us, give us a review. We'll, we read those too, and if it's cool, we put those on the air too. And it really helps us in terms of the algorithm so that other people find out we exist. Dude, I thought you were going to plug my TikTok. <laughs> Not cool, man. Not cool. Now, if I do, it just and, sounds like I'm bragging. You know what? We'll talk about it off the air. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, and as we wrap up, next time we'll be talking about another magazine and another single issue. Uh, we've got Monsters Unleashed number five. And Strange Tales number 173. I said good day, sir. (laughs) Bye, everybody. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tombers, Excelsior.